as Paul was saying to Vinkatesh a little while ago, um, he and I were once going through the ACB exhibit hall, and one of the exhibitors, I have no recollection who it was, had uh, a couple of books of raised line graphics. Now these were not charts, and these were not uh, maps. These raised line graphics were of animals. So, that was great. So, you can imagine that most of the animals were of the four-legged kind. Though there were a couple of amphibians and a couple of fishes. But they were animals. And I opened it up to the first page and I said, I'm not going to look at what it says in Braille at the bottom of the page. I'm just going to look at the animals, see if I can tell what it is. And I said, okay, I know what this is. Didn't, didn't take me very long. And I said, Paul, take a look at this. Don't look at the answer. Just look at the graphic. And he looked at it and says, looks like a graphic of a blob. <laughs> now, I said, looks like a graphic of a deer in profile, but facing me, the viewer. So I could see both antlers rising from its head. What did I say then, Brian? Still looks like a blob to me. No. <laughs> I said, show off. <laughs> there was that too. Uh, but it's, it's this whole issue of when they say that a picture's worth a thousand words, yada, yada. Um, but the fact of the matter is our society has gone kind of in a circle. We went from painting things on cave walls to emojis, right? Emojis, however you want to emphasize it, right? So when I look at something and I'm trying to understand it in a sighted world, it's a little difficult in some cases because I have issues of perspective. Like I mentioned, the deer is in profile. And when a four-legged animal is in profile, the two legs, if they show at all, that are on the far side of the animal are shorter than those closer to you. Okay? This is perspective. Okay? This is news. That's just how they appear. Um, and then, of course, I knew that the deer was facing me because I saw both branched antlers. But had the deer been in full profile, facing the direction of its body, if you will, then one set of antlers would visually appear to be tangled with the other set of antlers, creating such a mess, so to speak, um, that it would be hard to tell whether it was a unicorn for heaven's sake, okay? So there are those kinds of things that deal with it. Uh, anybody here from Texas? Anybody here has ever been to the Alamo? Yes. They have a lovely brochure there that shows the, Ana, the Alamo um, in tactile graphics. And I got a little cocky and I said, well, look at this. See, the, the lines are thicker down toward the bottom of the drawing than they are up toward the top. In fact, there's many, many more filled in dot spaces toward the bottom of the graphic than at the top of the graphic. Therefore, while it is not in view in this graphic, the sun must be slightly behind 
this structure because what I'm seeing are shadows at the bottom. And I was quite proud of myself, only to find out that the Alamo is built thicker at the bottom than it is at the top. And that was the whole reason why it was broader and thicker at the bottom than at the top. So you get yourself misinterpreting graphics. Um, I've been trying to get National Braille Press to do a book for me for years, and they haven't done it yet, but keep pushing it. Uh, we do need material to teach us how to look at things with our hands when they are a raised line graphic. Um, I just had presented to me a map of my neighborhood, which is, ah, oh, I'm so tickled with this, I cannot begin to tell you. And so I looked at it, and um, of course, you know, there's a matter of scale here. You, know, you can't show all that much in terms of number of blocks, left, right, east, and still have enough definition of things. So here, I looked at the, the uh, key to the map, and it said that there was a circle at my address. So I didn't look at anything else. I went straight to the map and looked for that circle. And because of the nature of how this was produced, that circle is in the center, little circle, mm, half a penny, maybe. Anyway, and then I, I felt myself centered there. And then I started to recognize the other things, the roads that went this way, etc. So do you look at a graphic by putting your palm on it and sweeping the page to see how complicated it is? Do you trace something from the outside if it's uh, got a perimeter before you examine the inside? Or do you examine the inside and move it out from there? There are all kinds of issues about what is most effective in doing this. How many of those issues were those of us who've been blind most of our lives, if not all our lives, were ever taught? We aren't being, people born, who are born without sight tend not to be trained on how to do this kind of thing. And when you talk about where the jobs of today and tomorrow are, it is in STEM. And boy, it's hard to study any STEM subject without being able to read charts. Got to do it. And when we heard all of those scholarship winners uh, on stage, God, when was that? yesterday. How many of the careers they were in would a sighted person use a lot of graphics as part of how they communicate information? Anything in the medical field? Oh yeah, just a few. Computer science? Oh yeah, just a few. Um, just all of that is an important part of things. So what we want to do here this afternoon is we want to talk about graphical literacy and I have asked a couple of friends to assist in this process. First, from the San Francisco Lighthouse, I'm assuming he is here. He's the one who handed me this lovely graphic, um, is our friend Frank Welty. So Frank, if you'll come up to the podium. And a Lua member, we're told, on the Oh, and a Lua member, very important. He's in VRL. He's got creds. The man's got creds. 
my voice is right here, the real one. Good, good. You come on over here. Good. And tell us all about that center. So he's going to tell us about what he's been up to in his program at the San Francisco Lighthouse. Frank, okay, it's all yours. Good. Again, my name is Frank Welty, and I am a senior accessible media and braille specialist at in the Media and Accessible Design Laboratory at the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco. And we call it the Mad Lab. And Actually, I think we came up with the acronym before we came up with what it meant. But, <laughs> but anyway, so I work in the Mad Lab. And uh, the Mad Lab has, uh, I believe it's seven staff members. We have a director, and then we have a, uh, a, a uh, team coordinator who kind of coordinates all of our projects and keeps us organized. And then we have uh, three designers, and we have me. I'm the Braille specialist, and I, I, am a, I am a certified transcriber, and I do transcribing and proofreading. I proofread everything that pretty much everything that comes out of our shop. And then we have an assistant who does a lot of the, the production work, like embossing things, putting things together, and shipping things out, that sort of thing. So we're a busy group. Um, the Media and Accessible Design Laboratory at the Lighthouse has evolved over the years. It actually started out being known as the Access to Information Services Department back when we had a radio reading service. And at some point, we started getting into doing some Braille transcription and then about 10 or 12 years ago, I guess, we got a partnership with a gentleman who is a, a blind PhD research scientist at the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute, a gentleman by the name of Josh Mealy. And Josh was into tactile graphics. And we got a federal grant in cooperation with Smith Kettlewell to produce audio tactile maps of the train stations in the Bay Area rapid transit system. There are about four dozen of them. And uh, so we had this big project where we created these tactile maps. And each station has at least three and maybe as many as a dozen pages of maps to render the, the station. And they're really not any established sets of symbols to represent maps. So we sort of had to learn them and come up with them as we went along in an iterative process. But that gave us a huge experience working with tactile graphics. So after that, we started doing more and more tactile graphics work. And because of that, we've developed a great deal of skill in the design of usable tactile graphics. That's an overview of what we do in the Mad Lab. I, uh, I do have some samples with me at the table that maybe later on people can look at. Also, you guys may have seen in the uh, newspaper that I've ha had some office hours in the, uh, in the Riverside this uh, week. I still have a couple left. Um, this afternoon after the session, I will be going back to the Riverside Room 836. So if anybody wants to go over there and chat some more, you're welcome to. And then I think it's early tomorrow afternoon. I have a, few more, a couple more hours of... Uh, if you want to visit and chat, or just grab me in the halls here. Um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about tactile graphics. Uh, Brian set this up very well, because uh, as we all know, in this room, the uh, BRL, Lua, and the uh, NABT have something in common, and that is a deep devotion to literacy. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. But there's more than one kind of literacy. There's literacy when we're talking about reading books, and that's 
a key to everything else, I think. But there's also what they call numeracy. Numeracy is, the, is literacy in using numbers, right? Well, there's a term that I've recently heard to describe the use of graphics, and that is graphicacy. So there's a new word for you. So I like to talk about tactile graphicacy. And uh, that's what we care a great deal about in the Mad Lab. You know, years ago, Josh Mealy tells me there was a study done. This was like back in the 50s, where somebody did a study on blind people and tactile graphics. And they basically came with, away with the conclusion that blind people really couldn't deal very well with tactile graphics. Well, there's been some rethinking since then, and what has been decided is that actually the problem was not the blind people. The problem was that they were, doing st they were testing using crummy tactile graphics. And I'm sure that we've all seen our share of crummy tactile graphics over the years. One of the things that we want to work toward is partnering with other subject matter experts to develop training curriculum and supporting materials that will give blind people a better opportunity to learn tactile graphics skills. A lot of graphic skills that sighted people get they obtain by osmosis. They look around and see stuff. You know, if you, I'm guessing that if you tell, show a seven-year-old, say, a McDonald's logo, they'll be able to tell you what it is, right? Probably. Say, or, or an Amazon logo, or any number of logos of, of commercial products. You know, nobody, they never had to take a class for that, right? It was all around them and they absorbed it. What about the blind kids? If you ask the average seven-year-old blind kid, can you describe the Nike logo? Can they do it? Probably not. I'm 57 and I can't describe the Nike logo, so there you go. Um, and so there's a, there's a need for formal instruction in using graphics because as Brian said, graphics is critical for so many fields of work in the 21st century. And so to be competitive, we need to be competitive in our capacity to deal with graphics. And that's something that we're very committed to in the Mad Lab. Um, I want to tell you about a few of the things that we do at the Mad Lab specifically. We do a, our biggest specialty in terms of tactile graphics is probably maps, you know, based on that experience we've done with BART. We've done other transit systems, like we did the subway systems, the subway stations in San Francisco, Muni. San Francisco actually does have its own subway, by the way. And uh, we've uh, done transit maps for, the, uh, for Calgary, Canada. We, uh, in the last year, we've done some transit maps for Reno, for the city of Stockton, California. And we just finished up a set of special maps that are called strip maps. They're actually, rather than being graphic representations of a route, they're basically a list of, of the, the route with braille abbreviations exp explaining the characteristics at each stop. For example, at a bus, on a bus route, you'll have symbols that represent whether the stop is a near side stop or a far side stop. Kind of nice to know when you get off a bus, right? And you know, the order of, of the, uh, the stops on your bus route and so forth. Or on a tr in the case of a train, a train system, it might be 
is this platform a center platform or a side platform? Kind of nice to know so you know which door to stand by when you're off, about to get off the train. Um, is it an above ground station? Is it an underground station? Is it at ground level? Interesting things to know. So you can put that in a very compact and actually non-graphic form that's very useful. But having that knowledge about when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to use graphics is very important as well. Um, so we do a lot of transit stuff. We've done a lot of maps of campuses. We, that's probably one of the biggest things we get asked for in terms of maps is campuses. We've done University of California, Berkeley. We've done uh, San Francisco State University. We're, we're, we've done parts of Stanford University. It's a very big campus, so we haven't done the whole thing yet. Uh, and we've done some other campuses around the country. We've done recreational areas, like in, in the national parks. A number of the national park venues in the San Francisco Bay Area have been mapped by us in tactile maps, like Alcatraz. We've done maps of Alcatraz. And uh, we've also done uh, some maps of indoor mapping, for example, maps of, of uh, convention hotels, hint, hint. <laughs> For anybody who's listening, <laughs> and um, we've we've done you know in, indoor venues, outdoor venues. Um, probably the most unique map we've done is that there's a little event that happens every late summer in Nevada that some of you might have heard of called uh, Burning Man, where these people, these these very bohemian people, about seventy thousand of them, go off into the bleak Nevada desert and they basically create an instant city that exists for like a couple of weeks. And a couple times they've actually had us create a tactile map of their Black Rock City, which is very cool. We've done other tactile graphics as well. Like we've, we've done, uh, we recently had a request from the Charles Schultz Museum to do a braille tactile rendering of a panel from a Peanuts cartoon. Um, we've also done, uh, maps for uh, in recre other recreational areas. For example, there is a certain organization that has theme parks that we've done maps for. They kind of don't always want us to use their name, but it has something to do with a mouse. And uh, we've, we've done that. Um, we, we've uh, also done a lot of uh, some stuff for Apple as well. Like uh, they recently, they have a, an app for teaching kids how to do programming. It's called Swift Playgrounds. It runs on, the app runs on the, uh, on the iPad. And they had us do a set of tactile representations of the maps. I mean, the, the scenario is that you, you write programs in order to make a robot basically go through a maze. And so we created Tactiles, I think there are 47 of them altogether, of the various mazes that you get in this training course so that a person can ex you know, actually tactilely examine this maze to figure out how it's laid out and how they need to program to move the robot through it. So that's something very cool that we've done. And we've, we're doing other things as well. Um, some of the maps and things that we, we do, most, most of the things we do are on contract basis with different clients, like I've mentioned, different government agencies, corporations, individuals, whatnot. But we sell some of our materials through the store. Like we're starting to get some of our maps in our adaptation store at the Lighthouse. So you can actually call the Lighthouse, get connected to the store, and order, for example, a map of California or a map of the San Francisco Bay Area. And we have more maps coming. So, uh, and by the way, our store is going to be available online soon. So 
you can order it online in the very near future. Um, one other thing that's very cool that is really kind of unique and revolutionary that we do is a system that we call the TMAP system. Now, TMAPs are different than regular maps because, as you can imagine, a regular tactile map takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a bit of cost to produce a good tactile map. We now have a system where you can give us an address, pretty much any address in the country, and we've actually done some addresses internationally as well. And in a matter of minutes, we can plug it into, a, into the system, and the system will generate a tactile graphic file that we can send out to an embosser and emboss. So like, instead of it taking, say, a few weeks to get a tactile map, we can give you a basic tactile map in minutes. Um, that tactile map that I gave Brian, I, I plugged his address into the system, and it generated the map. And so I was able to hand that map to Brian. I am not a graphic artist. I know nothing about his neighborhood except that I was able to get his address from the Braille Forum. And I generated that map that Brian recognized without me telling him what it was. And what the, what the T-maps show is they're essentially a street map of a neighborhood. So if you give me your address, I'll give you back a, a two-page document. The first page will be the map, and the second page will be a, a, a key of the abbreviations on the map. In the middle of the map is a little circle about the size of your fingertip. That's your location. Might be your house, might be your office, whatever you wanted the address for. And then you'll see lines running here and there on the map. Those are streets. So you can see the street grid in your neighborhood. And to find out the name of the street, you follow the line to the edge of the paper, and there's a three-letter abbreviation. That's the abbreviation for that street name. And then you just look it up on the key to find out what streets it is. And then we can change the scale on the map, because sometimes, for example, the typical scale that we have, and that's the one that I gave Brian, is a scale of 1 to 4,000, which basically works out to about maybe three or four blocks in either direction. But that, that can vary. For example, if you're in a rural area where roads are kind of far apart, you might want to zoom out so that instead of having a f 1 to 4,000 scale, you might want to have a 1 to 8,000 scale. We go as far, as far back as a 1 to 35,000 scale, which actually works if you're talking about someplace out in the country where it's a, a fair piece between roads. You know, if you just use, use the normal scale, what you end up having is a little circle in the middle of a screen, in the middle of the page, and nothing else. Because maybe the next road is a half mile away. But you zoom out, and you can get this sort of road, this road map that gives you an, an idea of how the roads are laid out in that general quarter of country, even though may, maybe it's mostly farmland, but you still get an idea. You know, here's, here's uh, Lynchville Road over here, and then there's farm town road over there on the other side of the map, and oh, here's where they come together down at the bottom, you know, and you kind of get an idea how things are laid out. The other extreme is that you can zoom in. And zooming in is really useful for uh, things that you want to see in detail. For example, sometimes city streets can be very busy, and you might actually want to zoom in so that you see fewer blocks, but they're farther apart so you can see what they are. And because of a new feature that we've added very recently to the maps, you can do something else that's very cool. Like I mentioned earlier, the thing that we get the at request for probably the most is campus maps. Well, guess what happens on a conventional T-map if you ask for the address for your campus? Does anybody want to guess what happens if, if you were to ask me for the address for your, say, your college campus, what you would get back? 
no, you wouldn't. What you would get is you'd find a little circle in the map that's probably like the entrance to your college, right? Half the map is going to show some streets, right? The streets that run into the college. The other half is going to be blank. Because it's all like, if there are roads at all, they're like little private roads inside the college, right? Or they're probably just like sidewalks and buildings. Well, fortunately, with the new T-Map system, we can add footpaths or sidewalks, in other words, and buildings. And we can also add uh, what they call service roads. So, sometimes, so for example, the college campus that would have just been before just an empty blob in space now suddenly has dotted lines that show the footpath, the sidewalks, and um, textured areas that show buildings. So for example, I gave Brian a, uh, the address for a certain place on Beacon Street where, uh, where, where, where Kim works. And it's zoomed in. It only shows it a little bit. But it shows that there are a couple of buildings. You can see some, some, uh, some dotted lines that are probably sidewalks. And you could see that if you kind of have an idea of how your, your college campus is laid out, when you see that map, it makes sense. Now, the one thing it doesn't have is that it doesn't label buildings. So for example, you know, Founders Hall and the uh, math and science building, you know, the, the student dorm, that's not labeled on these T-maps. Although we have done some things where we customized the T-map and used it as a basis, and then very quickly we're able to plug in some, uh, some labels and get it done. So it's a very exciting opportunity because the other great thing about T-maps is that they're cheap. You know what it would cost you to get a T-map? Anybody want to guess what it costs to buy a T-map from our store? $1.380. You should have read my article in the lower ledger. $25. And you get a T-map of pretty much any address. You can call our store, say, I want a T-map of my office address. And in a couple of weeks, you'll get a thing in the mail, and there's your map. 25 bucks. So we hope you take advantage of that. During this week, if my equipment cooperates, I will generate T-maps for people free of charge. So get in touch with me, and I'll try to do that. Um, I was fighting with equipment for the first few days, and I finally got it working today. So I'm in business. I uh, want to uh, thank Frank for that great description <laughs> and for these maps that he provided me today. Um, Frank, again. Okay, I will pass some. Uh, and actually, along with some T maps that I have samples of, I also have samples of some of the other tactiles. So I'll just kind of pass those around. Please get them back to me before we leave. Don't leave with one of these things because I want to take them home. <laughs> there you go. All right, so maps uh, in very practical terms, right? Um, pretty exciting stuff. Now, this is all great, and it's like a pressed braille, it, it really does serve a very important purpose. But times are a-changing, and as a result, we're looking at, so what about um, something where it's not just a field of dots or a dotted line or a, a what do I call it, solid line kind of scenario like we can do with an embosser. You know, we've got fancy printers these days, pretty expensive ones, that can create a raised image. APH uses them a lot for doing graphics. But I want to be able to tactily feel 
what my microscope is looking at now. I want to feel uh, something that gives me better access to, if you will, that perspective question I was talking about earlier. Maybe what I want to feel is what part of I that I'm looking at is red versus blue. How do we get to that stage? Um, and now, the first one I've seen that is anywhere close to reality, a device called the graffiti is here in the room with us. And Vinkatesh Chari, who you remember from Orbit, right, creator of the Orbit Reader, and also creator of the iBill, uh, has now got this device, and I would like to invite him to come up to describe, not just describe it, but tell us a little bit about what it is intended to do for all of us. So, join me in welcoming Vinkatesh to the podium. Thank you. Thank you, Brian and, and Paul. Uh, hi, everybody. So um, I wasn't actually very sure where to start and, and what to talk about, so I'm going to let Brian and Paul lead me along uh, because I'll, I can talk for an entire day about this stuff. But um, let, me, let me just start with, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the graffiti, um, imagine a braille display uh, with pins or dots that move up, up or down. And now imagine that as a two-dimensional array instead of a sort of a single line array. So the graffiti has um, 60 rows, uh, sorry, 60 columns and 40 rows of uh, pins that move up and down. So a total of 2,400 pins. And each of them can move independently and um, they can essentially depict any picture that you send to it. Uh, the device is about the size of a laptop and I do have one here. Um, I'm not sure if we will have time to pass it around, but um, we'll try. Um, the, each pin in this device uh, can be set to uh, independent levels. So they can be set to multiple levels. And what I mean by that is um, the maximum protrusion of a pin is about two millimeters, about an, about an eighth of an inch. Um, but it can be set from a completely sort of flat surface to anywhere in between those two millimeters. So that allows us to depict various characteristics of, uh, a, of an image uh, by height. And uh, so we can represent different colors by different heights. So red could be the highest one. Uh, you know, green could be level, you know, three. And so we, we typically talk about four, five levels, you know, level zero being flat, level four being the highest. And uh, so you could assign different colors to different levels, or you could assign different types of uh, information or importance. So if you're looking at a, at a graph, let's say, and um, you have uh, two graphs, the one is a circle and uh, let's say one is a um, square and they're, they're different, um, uh, you're, there's different significance attached to each. Uh, you could have them both in different heights. So uh, it 
provides a way of rendering more than 2D information. Um, the uh, so just a few more things about the device. It's it's uh, fully self-contained. It's battery-powered. Um, it's portable. It's intended to be carried around like you would carry a laptop. The technology that we have developed for this is fully scalable, so it can be used to make a device that is uh, pocket-sized and also a device that is table-sized. Um, and we have actually received requests from uh, from organizations for a a literally a wall-sized device um, that you could just walk up to and touch and feel. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to give a few examples of what, what it can be used for and, and uh, tie these into some of the things that Brian and, uh, and uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, I forget the gentleman. Paul. Paul. What? No. Um, oh, oh, Frank. Frank, yes, Frank. sorry. Thank you. Uh, that Frank have, have, have talked about. So, uh, uh, um, Brian talked about the the, the uh, challenge of uh, perspective, uh, or you know, a two D image, uh, or a, rather a three D object being represented in two dimensions, and it, it is challenging. Um, the we we feel that one of the things that can help in the understanding, comprehension, and uh, of. Uh, uh, 2D renderings, because most of the information that is presented to us these days is in 2D, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Im images on a computer or, you know, renderings on paper, uh, it is a 2D rendering uh, of, uh, if it's graphical information, usually it is a 3D object. So uh, the graffiti has a touch interface, so you can actually, with your finger, draw on it. Um, and you can also use your finger to, uh, to input gestures, like swiping and panning and pinching to zoom and, and so on. So imagine the, the deer that, um, that uh, uh, Brian was referring to, and um, you know, you're looking at it in sort of its front profile, uh, and it's, perhaps it's not so easy to tell what it is. But now imagine being able to just swipe your finger and the object rotates in three dimensions, um, and you see, you start seeing the side view, the side profile, or the top view. So as the object is rotating, it's being rotated by uh, the computer in, in, the, in, the, in the graffiti, it is rendering the, the two-dimensional perspective view. And you can and imagine being able to change the perspective. The perspective changes depending on how far you are from the object. So as you get closer to the object, you know, the, the sort of the, the parts of the object that are closer to you appear bigger. Uh, for something that is very far away, uh, the front or back of the object will appear very similar in size. So you can do all of these in real time. So the, the main thing that the graffiti brings is being able to view and manipulate and access graphical information in real time on demand uh, versus having to uh, first emboss it, or in some cases 3D print it before being able to access it. And uh, the, the objective for us uh, as the developers of the graffiti is really to, to provide the platform, the hardware and the software that can enable the rendering of graphics. Um, there is a tremendous amount of other work to be done beyond this, uh, including some of the things that, that, that Frank talked about, uh, being able to take something like Google Maps, 
um, which are commonly used by, by sighted people for navigation and various other things, and rendering it in a manner that is tactile friendly, that has the right amount of information, that has, say, labels in Braille, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of work that can be done. The graffiti has an open interface. So it can be connected to a computer or a smartphone or any other uh, electronic device through USB or Bluetooth. And it has what's, what we, you know, what's known in the, in the industry as an open API. Uh, which basically is an open interface to communicate with it. So uh, any, it, it's very simple to write a small computer program um, to send data to it to um, plot various types of graphics. Um, the, uh, the graffiti also has an HDMI input, and I'm stressing the word input because it, it accepts outputs from your computer or your set-top box or any other source, your iPhone or Android phone, uh, simply by plugging it in into this HDMI input, it behaves as an external monitor. So you don't even need to actually program anything. Whatever your computer screen or your smartphone screen is showing appears on the graffiti. So I frequently demonstrated just plugged into my iPhone, go to Google, the Google app, and uh, search for Mona Lisa line drawing. And you know, up pops say Mona Lisa line drawing, which is instantly rendered on the graffiti. Um, you know, I can switch to my camera app and point the camera at whatever it may be, a, a logo or, or a face, and instantly the cameras, whatever the, the camera is seeing, appears in the graffiti. And uh, it, uh, uh, Frank talked about logos. And uh, yes, you know, logos are something that many uh, folks are not familiar with. So we actually, as one of our standard demos, uh, we download, we have downloaded a bunch of logos and there's a folder of logo images and you can look at how the Dell logo looks, how the Ford logo looks, how the Coca-Cola logo looks, and it's a lot of fun. Um, so it, it, the, the, uh, the intent is to provide a platform that has pretty much any use that you can put it to, um, uh, starting from teaching simple shapes, you know, circles, squares. Um, uh, these images can be very easily obtained. There are lots of tactile graphic libraries. And you can simply create it yourself. So you could actually uh, draw it on the screen yourself, on the screen of the graffiti, on the display of the graffiti yourself with your finger. Or you can draw, draw using a, a special paint-like program, you know, Microsoft Paint-like program that we have developed for a computer. And you can actually draw dot by dot if you like, or line by line, or you know, put in shapes. So it's a paint program for tactile graphics. And instantly that gets reflected onto the graffiti. Um, lastly, I would like to, uh, to describe one more feature, uh, which is the ability to connect multiple graffitis together. So it, uh, you, we can today connect two of them uh, to each other over Bluetooth or a USB cable, but this is also equally possible over the internet. So you could have one device here, one device halfway across the world, uh, and whatever you draw or see on your screen instantly appears on your friend's screen. Wow. And vice versa. 
yes, you could teach in real time. Um, not only that, you could, you know, if you are in a, in a typical school classroom where the teacher is teaching with a smart board, uh, the smart board typically shows what the teacher's computer screen is showing. You can plug the same output that's going to the smart board into the graffiti, and instantly you see whatever the rest of the class is seeing. So that would work for offices when you're having business meetings and they're putting charts up and taking their pointer and everybody is watching the guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when I use Zoom and I can't do anything with the images. Yes. Absolutely, and not only that, if somebody's using Zoom or Skype and you're, you know, the screen is showing the people on the other side, you can watch that video in real time. I'm sorry, if it'll catch? Yes, so there, there is a, there is a, uh, there's a, uh, certainly a challenge there in the sense that you know, it'll move as fast as the source is moving and obviously interpreting uh, it in real time may not be um, as quick, but you can instantly pause the display by just pressing a button, it pauses while you read the image and then you can unpause it and it'll go back to real time. So, the, uh, so these are, these are some, just some of the features that we have built in so far. Um, the main challenge here was to, pro to develop the platform, develop the hardware and the system that makes it, makes it all work. And um, we are now uh, in, a, in the pre-production stage. Um, we have, we're awaiting some uh, customer survey feedback um, that APH is conducting to determine how many of these we would uh, manufacture in the first run. And that will determine the price. The, in, the intention is to have it priced at less than $5,000, which is about the cost of a note taker. And um, we want to bring it down even lower. And the only way we can do it is if we have high enough volumes. Um, but we, you know, we, we are hoping we can build in the first run between 1,000 and 2,000 units that will allow us to bring the cost down below $5,000. Because Vinkatesh is a busy guy and he's got to catch a flight, he has to leave at 4. Is that correct? That's right. So, and the current time? It's 3.52. 3.52, right? So, Vinkatesh, what I'd like to recommend is it probably uh, those, first off, how many people want to touch the graffiti? Raise your hand. There are about 10 hands. 10 hands. And are they anywhere near one another? Uh, no. No, <laughs> everywhere. All everywhere. All yep, yep. So, I, so here's the question. Is it faster for Vinkatash to dash to person, to person, to person? Or would it be faster for you guys to come to Vinkatash at a known location? The latter? The latter. All okay. Right. So, Vinkatash, if you could find a place to park. Sure. And verbally tell us where it is. Sure. While you're doing that, Paul and I will continue to chit-chat a little bit here and give the closing code for those who need that, that kind of thing. Sounds okay, good. take full uh, advantage. Why don't I take the table right at the front where, where Frank is, if that's okay with Frank? Sure. All right. Okay, so what do you think of the graffiti? The potential of such a thing. Um, now, I've, I've been very much involved in seeing its iterations over time, and it just keeps getting better and better. You know, 
uh, when I look at it, it's usually with Kim in the room, and so she's on the other side of the table and she keeps taking it from me. But that's okay, because there's a button that will inverse the image as to which is up and which is down. So I'm looking at something, and if I slap Kim's hand so she doesn't push the button, I can see it. Then push that button and flip it around so she can see it uh, appropriately top to bottom. And yes, I use the word see in all of this. But it, the one time that I struggled with it, and, and we discussed that just a moment ago, is when the objects are moving. Okay? You can tell, I mean, you can see something move smoothly across the screen, like a car driving down the street, right? But you do not want to watch a hockey match this way. Um, but, but again, the whole idea of being able to get graphics, tactile graphics in real time Hit that pause button, take a look. I'm now going to turn the microphone and the balance of the time over to Paul Edwards, President, Braille Revival League. Thank you, Mr. Bryan. One of the questions that all of us as blind people have to face is to what degree is what Vinkatesh is doing and what uh, the San Francisco Lighthouse, for t as two different examples, are doing what the National Braille Press is doing in preserving a whole set of maps um, um, that, that are available for sale at, at a reasonable cost. What, what is the value of that to blind people and how much does it forward um, the, the, our, our, our movement toward a greater degree of literacy? Is there such a thing as tactile graphics literacy? Clearly by doing this presentation, our two organizations believe that there is. But we also recognize the fact that if we had had time to, to, to carry on a good deal of conversation, there would be this huge gap in the population. Those of us who were born blind would essentially be tactilely, graphically ignorant. And people who had seen some would not be. Um, and but, but more than that, and worse than that, the truth is that those of us who were born this way would for the most part say, and I don't care. I disagree with that. Well, so... <laughs> but, uh, that would be the discussion. Yeah, but it would be the discussion. But my point is really, and, and, and it, we're not so far apart, my point is really, why is that? And, and it is essentially that we have convinced ourselves and other people have convinced us that we can make nothing of pictures and that they don't mean anything to us and that they are for a language that we can't learn to speak. And I think both the Braille Revival League and library users are entirely at the other end of the spectrum there. We believe that it is possible to train people who are blind, whether they were born that way or not, to understand and appreciate pictures. The question is how. And I think what's exciting about the development of the graffiti is that the graffiti um, constitutes an ability to take the creation of graphics 
another huge step forward by enabling us not only to utilize a multi-line, multi-column braille display, but more importantly, by being able to immediately move from image to image in a manner that will enable us eventually to create a transition from a really simple picture to a more complex one as an individual blind person, whether newly blinded or, or, or whether someone who's been blinded all their lives, can learn to appreciate the nuances. So we're at the beginning of a whole new generation. The ending code for this session is 7 EC91. 7 Echo Cardiogram 9 1. 7 EC91. And I'm going to hand it back to Brian. Um, just before I do, I want to say, Brian Charlson, Library Users of America really appreciates your service and the way that you've led this organization in such an exciting and appropriate manner. And I know that the rest of the board would really dis dislike me a lot if I didn't tell you in front of everybody here, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you very much. Um, had we had three hours, we could have filled it. Uh, National Braille Press, go by their booth. They have some of the Princeton uh, maps there. They in inherited, acquired, whatever, those, and they're producing them. I have a wonderful set of maps of Massachusetts. You do not know your home state as well as you think you do until you take a look at a set of maps. They do. You got it. Take care, my friend. The particular um, kind of map that you're buying, because of the, the books are sometimes six to eight pages and sometimes thirty to forty. Exactly. It really depends on the complexity of the pictures involved. Some places are simply so large that to get anything in reasonable scale, you show the northwest part, then the southwest part, then the east. You know those kinds of things, like any book of maps. Uh, would require of you. So that's one resource that I really commend you to take a look at. Um, you, when we had the whole desert storm, uh, I almost called it debacle, but I'll, I'll leave that word out of it, okay? When that occurred, every evening on the evening news, the guy would say, and now here's where the troops are. They're right here, and then they're over here, and they were doing their lovely little pointer job, and who, who understood what was going on? But I got a tactile map of that region and sat with it in my lap during the news broadcasts and made a lot more sense out of what those guys were reporting to me. Did I actually what? Yeah, hold on a second. Yes, what's the question? Okay, so yeah, I had... 
I got a tactile map of that region for that one purpose. Now, um, another thing you should keep in mind is check out Braille from, na from a little place called the National Library Service. They have done, what's it called, uh, Game of Thrones with graphics, which, hold on, go ahead. Disagree? It's Game of Thrones, isn't it? No. What, what's it called? Well, I, I Pardon me, Dungeons. I think they also did some Game of Thrones. I will challenge you on that, guys. But but the idea is that there's it's really hard to understand some things when in the opening phrase of a talking book it says maps are not included drives you nuts. I loved the whole Lord of the Rings series, but that's a complicated physical space they're working in. Um, and it would have been great to have a map of it so that I could follow the storylines. Uh, so do look for and request this, uh, because you don't get it if we don't ask. That's, that's the rule. That we said at the Braille Summit. Uh, oh, thank you, Brian. One of the things that we said at the Braille Summit to NLS, and, and, and I, I really think we need to more hit their feet to the fire, is there are lots of books you can produce in Braille um, that, that, um, that are no different in Braille than they would be in audio. But Braille is a medium that, if you're really going to optimize the value that you can get out of it, uh, needs to do things in Braille that audio can't do. Um, and we've been saying to NLS over the past few years that, for the most part, uh, and, and, and they, they said there were reasons, but for the most part, you haven't lived up to this expectation. And so we're very happy to see the emergence of, um, of a book where, where graphics is a core value. Um, and, and we hope there'll be more of that because we'd love to see more map books. We'd love to see, um, we, would, we would love to see picture books for kids that really have pictures um, and on and on and on and on. Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, at an economics book and you have no graphs, how can you really understand it? On and on. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we said we were going to end early and we're ending late. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we said uh, that we would um, entertain and excite you. I think we did. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we've loved putting this program together and thank you for being here. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful?